Well, we are uh, weeks, what are we, there we go, week six of the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality Series. If you're visiting with us today, uh, then uh, then welcome, and uh, all of this sort of week stand alone, so you're not missing out on much, but um, you'll be all pleased to know that the difficult work of looking at our past is past. Hallelujah. We, we really, uh, I mean, that grief session uh, this week, if, for all those doing the small groups, crikey. Oh, Lord have mercy. It was tissue central at our place, and um, I'm sure it was the same at yours. Um, but uh, can I just say one more time, well done, everyone, for just the way you've engaged. Uh, I'm just so proud of you all, and especially those that are choosing to look at things in their past that they haven't wanted to look at or haven't for a very long time, good on you for having the courage to go there, for doing it in community, for working through that stuff. And while it's very painful, it is worth it. You'll be glad that you did. And we've said a lot of times that the last thing we want to be is a 22-year-old Christian who's really a one-year-old Christian 22 times. And here's what I want to tell you. Because you've chosen to engage the way that you have, you are going to be different this time next year. In fact, by the end of this year, you're going to look back and you're going to be very proud of yourself as well because you're going to be different from when 2019 started. So well done for choosing to do it. You don't want to do it. That's why no one changes, right? Because it's easier not to go there, but you have. So well done. I'm very, very proud of you. And the reason that we're doing all of this is because we want to know life in all of its fullness. We want to know that there isn't just some pop Christianity cliche that people like pastors trot around all the time, but actually it's true that as you choose to engage with him deeply, while it may be painful and may you, you may have to pick up a cross most likely and you may have to die to yourself, the story does not end on Friday, it ends on Sunday with new life bursting into the world. And I tell you what, Kathleen last week, crikey, like what an amazing example to us that, it, that even through the deepest valley, the shadow of death, that she can walk through into places of new life and she can declare over and over and over again of the goodness of God, of the restoring and redeeming power of God. If she can do it, so can you. She's no different. If you, and so this is our, our absolute desire, is that we can uh, know life. And Jesus stands before us and invites us to follow him into life. He says, I am the life. Abide and remain in me. And so I just want to, as we start, because what we're going to be looking at today is the rhythm of the daily office and Sabbath, uh, which we've talked about before, and so we're not going to um, hit it crazy hard because I've gone there before quite well. Uh, but I do. it's so key that it is good for us to, to go over this again. Um, but I just want to say this up front. All of these things, daily office, Sabbath, working through your past, all of this, we don't do any of this so that God will be one day pleased with us because we've done enough as a good Christian to finally earn God's love and, and acceptance. The beauty of what we've gone through today with, the cross, uh, with communion, remembering the death and resurrection of Jesus, reminds us that at the absolute foundation and centre of the Christian faith, it's grace and mercy. It's not, it's not guilt and fear and condemnation and striving to please a God who needs a certain amount of activity or points before he's happy with you, Christian points. It doesn't. It starts with his love. It starts with his grace. It starts with his mercy. You are absolutely forgiven. When Jesus said on the cross, it is finished, he meant it. Everything's been done for you to be radically loved by God. You don't have to earn that or strive for it. So we've got to really be clear about this because the danger in any 
of these practices that help us remain in the love of God and to, and to walk into places of life is that we can become Pharisees, where it's like, I'm doing this and all, you know, super Christian, you know, all Christians should do this, which is I'm probably going to say a few times today, uh, you know, and it's like, oh, you should be, and it's like, no, it should be nothing. Jesus took care of all the shoulds on the cross. So this is the free choice that you and I make to walk into ways of life and to imitate the life of Jesus and all of that so that we can know life in all of its fullness. Because there has been a danger, and I'm experiencing this quite a bit uh, in the last, well, as a pastor in, in the Western world, the danger is that you can think, because I've made a decision for Jesus, I prayed a salvation prayer, that I'm going to heaven when I die, and therefore that's all I have to worry about. Can you go back? Sorry, just for the opening. I'll, I'll give you the cues. Uh, um, and the, the danger in that is that there's a difference between believing in Jesus and following Jesus. Jesus said himself, mate, believing's not the thing. The demons believe. So, like, if it was all about that, then, you know, the, it's not. And so the danger sometimes in churches, and I, feel, I felt like I've been encountering this a little bit, is like, mate, why are we doing all this stuff? Mate, we're saved. Can't we just have fun on Sundays and enjoy being saved? And it's like, well, yeah, but I, the problem is that most of us, you know, general sweeping statements alert. This isn't true for you guys. But the, of course not, because we're Bay Vineyard, the superior church and all that. Um, no, the danger is that we can just get to this whole thing where a lot of people believe in Jesus, but their life looks no different from everyone else's. And I'm like, mate, I want, I want a radical faith that is where we've got radical communities that look radically different from everything our culture's offering. And, and they're different because there's real life, real joy, depth, peace, where there's healthy rhythms, where it's like there's a deep love for one another, where there's a self-awareness in terms of how people are doing emotionally. And we're, all of that, that's what I'm after. And I want to know that myself. I want to know that real life. And so there's an ongoing battle as to whether we step into that life or not. And it's funny because throughout all of the Old Testament, often um, you'll uh, hear God uh, through one of his leaders or prophets stand before his people saying, you've got to make a choice, life or death, blessings or, or curses. You've got to choose which way you're going to go. And I feel like that's often been the case in my experience. I felt like the Lord stood before me metaphorically and just said, mate, which way are you going to go? Because the way of, of the world is, you know, as Jesus says, a big wide lane and it's really easy to travel down and the whole of culture is trying to take us there. And, but it ultimately leads to all sorts of pain and at its absolute zenith it leads to death. And if we've seen all the suicide statistics come out in New Zealand, that's not theory or metaphor. That's like it just does not satisfy. It does not lead to life. And so there is this battle going on for your life and for my life because there is three things that we battle. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Okay, so we've got the world, we've got our culture saying consume. If you just buy this, you'll be happy. If you have a bigger house, if you just have, you know, there's this whole rhetoric, you're just bombed. Today you'll see over 5,000 advertisements telling you a lie. And that has an effect on us. So you start to believe this. And then, and then we all buy the new gadget and it makes us feel awesome for like half a day. And then it's the next day, it's boring. And we've got to get something else. And then we get into debt. And it's just, it's just like all of this. 
culture saying it's all about pleasure. You gotta feel good. If it doesn't feel good, then why are you bothering? You know, disciplines and 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 putting restrictions around and managing your desires. No way. That's that's intolerant. You know, we want to, yeah, whatever, man. If it feels good. Who cares if like our souls are getting shredded in the process? It's like let's just feel good in the short term. Consume, consume, consume. And it's like there's this the crazy thing is that that in our culture there is a new normal in terms of dysfunction. That's just normal. And like I'm like, hey church, we are called. I'm I'm so fired up as you can tell in the last couple of sermons. I've just realised, oh, this isn't a theory. We're called to be agents of renewal in the bay that see the bay changed. I feel really pumped about that. You're going to hear a lot about that. We've got some plans. It's all getting very exciting. But it's like. I'm like, mate, there's a new normal of dysfunction and we're called to be beautifully different in such a way that people are like that light on the hill right there, shining in the darkness, saying even though culture says all this, you can live in a way that sees you flourish. It's not going to be easy to get there, but Jesus is for you, not against you. And if you choose not just to believe in Him, but to follow Him, to be His apprentice, to be His disciple, then you can discover life that's the most beautiful, rich life you've ever experienced because it's it's filled with His presence in every area of your life. So you've got the world, you've got the flesh. Oh man, I know this one. Eat this, look at that, do what feels pleasurable. Like, come on, Harvey, don't know. Oh, you know, you're feeling a bit tired and flat. Here's how you can feel better. And it's like, oh, I don't know about that one. Oh, what one will be? You, can, uh, you know, won't hurt. Um, and on you go. And you've got the devil. And, and, and don't for a second think that he doesn't exist. And he is, he is this pure evil that specializes and he's the deceiver. You know, so it's like it doesn't, it's not obvious. The devil isn't obvious. It, it, it's the deceiver because it, it almost could be truth, but it's a couple of clicks off. And if you keep following that, you just wind up in a real pickle. And so you've got those three dynamics going on, and then you've got Jesus, who's crushed the enemy, who has, who has said that through my spirit, you can overcome even the power of your flesh to lead you into places and who's greater than the world. And he's saying, you follow me and you'll discover a rich, full life. And so the dream is that we would have a bunch of people who are deeply connected to Jesus and that the life of Jesus flows through every area of your life. It's like it's flowing through your bones. The dream is that we would be a bunch of people who are filled with joy, who are filled with peace, who are filled with depth, a person who deeply loves, a person who is rested, a person who has worked through the impact of their past so that they can move into a future in such a way that they are not held hostage by those events and those memories. Like that's the dream, is that we would be truly alive in Him. And so, today we're going to look at, <laughs> opening rant, uh, if there ever was one, uh, these two elements that help us stay deeply connected to Jesus and heal us and lead us into life. And the daily office is just a fancy way of saying a daily devotional time. The daily, the monks back in the day used to have these offices and they would have like seven or eight a day. I'm like, let's shoot for one. Uh, where, where they would have this rhythm of just engaging with Jesus and sitting with him and slowing right down. And so uh, it's a fancy way of saying that and Sabbath rest. So let's uh, jump into our session and let's have a quick look at one of the quotes from the book. When placed inside present-day Christianity, the daily office and Sabbath are groundbreaking countercultural acts against Western culture. Anyone that likes Rage Against Machine immediately has got their leg twitching going, come on. Um, 
So we are, we are countercultural acts against our Western culture. They are powerful declarations about God, ourselves, our relationships, our beliefs, and our values. Stopping for the daily office and Sabbath is not meant to add another to-do to our already busy schedules. It is the resetting of our lives. This is the difference between believers and between followers. Believers try and add more and more things into their busy lives. Followers say, okay, God, what is it? What is it? I want to reframe my whole life around your rhythms and your life. So it's the resetting of our entire lives towards a new destination, God. It's an entirely new way of being in the world. The daily office and Sabbath are ropes that lead us back to God in the blizzards of life. They are the anchors for living in the hurricane of demands. And when done as a want to rather than a have to, they offer us a rhythm for our lives that binds us to the living God. They are nothing short of revolutionary disciples for Christians today. Oh, hallelujah. Couldn't have said it better myself. That is good. That's really good. You know, that's real good. Because here's the thing. It's dawned on me. It's dawned on me. If we want renewal in the bay... It's got to begin with you, and it has to begin with me. And so I'm like, I want renewal in the bay, but the only way we're going to, and, and I want revival, which is renewal gone viral. I'm going to use this language a lot. I don't like the word revival. It's got way too many negative, weird connotations for me from my history. I do like the idea of renewal going viral. That I really like. How does renewal go viral? When you are so renewed, people start going, ooh, I, I, I need to imitate you because this, you're imitating Christ in such a way that, ooh, that's different. That's, I want that peace. I want, like, what is it, bro, that enables you to do that? And when enough leaders start stepping up that are deeply renewed and pursuing renewal, then we have a chance of seeing renewal go viral. Amen? Cool, man. It's bigger than just you. That's my point there. All right, next quote. As theologian Robert Barron argued, at the heart of original sin is the refusal to accept God's rhythm for us. Interesting point, and he's right. Because in the garden, uh, God was like, here's the limitations on your humanity. Don't cross this limitation. That is not for you to engage with. That's my territory. That's the limitations. And then they were like, screw your limitations. We're going to do our own thing here. So it's that refusal to accept the limitations that God gives us. It's the original sin that's, that's, that's really interesting. So the essence of being made in God's image is our ability, like God, to stop. We imitate God by stopping our work and resting. And if we can stop for one day a week or for many Sabbaths each day, which are the daily office, we touch something deep within us as image bearers of God. Our human brain, our bodies, our spirits, and our emotions become wired by God for the rhythm of work and rest in Him. And the daily office and Sabbath serve as ropes so we, can, we might live a rhythmic and joyful way even in the midst of blizzards, the blizzard of our culture, the blizzard of the demands on our time. And so uh, let's just quickly look at both of these things uh, when it comes to the daily office. Uh, there's, um, I, I, I think this is, uh, this is the battle in the church at the moment, is that particularly the under 50s, uh, under 40s maybe, I'm too sure I'm trying to work out who not to offend here, but... Uh, <laughs> Ah, screw it. <laughs> Most of us, the, the battle, no, no, seriously, my parents' generation grew up in a culture within the church that said it's normal to have a daily quiet time, in inverted commas. And then what's happened since is that my generation has come through, and since the advent of phones and uh, weapons of mass distraction uh, and all of that stuff, 
plus for whatever reason, a dialing down of that or a lack of discipleship around it, I would contend that my generation really, it's like, well, this is a big battle that's going on here. Most of my mates from, you know, my age and that, if we really get honest, and this is, again, not, not the boys here because we've, we've, we've addressed this, but most of the guys I talk to my age and younger in most mainline churches have no interior depth whatsoever have no rhythms, daily rhythms of just being and engaging with Jesus. And what happens then is that particularly, my heart's especially for dads, I can't help that. I've seen so many guys my age who are dads who just check out of church. Because after you get saved in inverted commas and then you go to church and you've heard it all after a couple of years, you just get bored. You're bound to. You're just going to get bored. And so at best you stay going to church for your kids because you know it's important your kids go. And I'm like, that doesn't look like life in all of its fullness to me. Like, there's something missing here. And Jesus was really clear. He says in John 15, which you've heard a hundred times before, remain in me as I also remain in you. So he's like, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to leave you. I'm going to stay with you. But the invitation is, would you remain in me? That's a choice you have to make. That's not something he's going to force. He can't. Love chooses. It's not forced. So if you want real love, with, it's the reason that we've got free will is he wants us to choose him so it's real love, so it's not some sort of divine dictator who reveals so much of his glory we have no choice. He hides himself, he shields himself. It's like we see like through a mirror dimly, through a veil. Why? So that we choose him. I want to remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. What's the fruit? Love, joy, and peace. No fruit can, joy, can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So if it's like, man, I, you know, Harvey's been talking so long at Bay Vineyard about love, joy, and peace, and would you just shut up about it because I'm not experiencing it. My question is, are you remaining? Are you deeply engaged with him? Are you remaining in him? Because it won't happen overnight, but it will happen. If you choose to remain in him, you will become a fruity character. I promise you. I promise you because Jesus promised I promise you because Jesus promised. And I know it's true. Often we don't feel anything's happening in the short term, but it will happen. I had to do a blood test the other day because I wanted to get insurance, life insurance. Jen had been really on my case for a long time about if I got hit by a bus, we're kind of screwed. And so, um, so that was lovely. And so um, we th- let's get life insurance. And because of, you know, financial reasons, we got, you know, let's get just enough to cover the mortgage and give Jen a little bit to work with there until she has to retrain herself. I think we've got enough so that we pay off the mortgage. She's got a year to retrain. <laughs> and then she's going to be a teacher or something. Okay, so that's the plan. So I have to go get a blood test. Now, if you do need any insurance needs, we've got Peter Watt in our church who's uh, insurance. And so he'll help you out. There we go, bro. There's my discount. Is it right? We had an agreement. No, okay. Okay. Uh, <laughs> And uh, just say, I sent you, and uh, no nah, jokes. Um, <laughs> and so I had to get a blood test, and um, tragically, in my family line, it turns out we've got a problem with cholesterol. And so uh, we're paying way higher premiums for my, uh, my insurance than Jen's insurance because my cholesterol's a bit high. And so I went to the doctor after some gentle encouragement from Jen, and, uh, and we talked with... I talked with the doctor once more about my cholesterol. And thankfully, they're like, we don't have to, my dad's on medication, but we don't have to put you on medication. But here's some things you can eat that help lower your cholesterol. So I'm like, I'm, yeah, no, but it's, medic, it's not, um, you know, it's, I'm on um, 
I'm on the special butter, you know, the butter that like lowers your cholesterol, and I'm and I'm having, yeah, I know it's, it's horrific stuff, and also. I'm smashing back all these omega-3 pills every morning because the fish oil is meant to help you out. Now, the reality is I don't feel any different. Now, I've been on this for two weeks, and I don't feel any different. I feel no better or worse than I did two weeks ago. The theory is in a year's time, if I consistently take these things and probably eat a little less Burger King and all that sort of stuff, (laughs) that I should go back for a blood test and I should have a lot more life in me. Now, hear what I'm saying? It's the same with our devotional lives. If it's like you've got to be consistent on this thing. If the number one battle is going to be over this because it's been the number one battle the enemy has waged against our church and largely won. We have got a lot of people that it just, and, and it's okay to struggle with it. I desperately want a culture in this church. The only way we're going to get whole is if we acknowledge it's a battle. The only way we're going to walk into healing and get some life in us is if we are really upfront about how rubbish it really is. So no Pharisee impressing each other here, please. I'm just, I forbid it. And I will come down like a ton of bricks if I hear that in some small group people are showing off about their amazing spiritual life. I'm not interested. What I want is vulnerability and honesty about where we're really at because then we have a chance of cheering each other on into places of life. And we've been doing this with, with a bunch of boys now for uh, over a year and it has brought enormous life to us if we've chosen to be honest about where that, how the area of our life is at. And so I'm, if you want more on this stuff, we did a whole series called Finding Life where we pushed this really hard. But because I'm convinced that if we want to see renewal go viral in the Bay, this has to be the focus, we are going to make it a big focus for our church. And I know that, that some of you will struggle with that and I've actually made peace with that. I've made peace with that because actually the stakes are too high. The stakes are too high in our culture. If we want to see that suicide rate go down, if we want to see that domestic violence thing, the church needs to step up and not just do something, but be somebody that's got so much life and depth and the presence of God flowing through them, it makes a difference because it flows from that deep place rather than the sense of obligation, I need to do something. So we're going to make this, uh, we're going to talk a lot about this and I'm praying and I'm talking to a lot of guys right now. We're going to put some stuff around the vision for the future of Bay Vineyard and at the center of it will be the pursuit of renewal in our own lives, predominantly through small groups, predominantly where we get we normalize this conversation, where in small groups together we just cheer each other on to go deeper in Him. So we're going to I'm going to talk a lot more about that. Um, if you struggle with what to do, please have a look at that Finding Life series. The two resources that um, I want to plug today are, of course, the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality Day by Day, which should be by now be dog-eared, and you know, there's so much, has seen so much life and, and hard wear and tear because of the series that we're in, and so everyone's really in the thick of that. But just hypothetically, if yours is still there, looking pretty untouched, this is a great resource because it's short. We're talking seven between seven and ten minutes. Uh, and the content is stunning. But the beautiful thing about this is that it incorporates silence. And silence is one of the most transformative, countercultural healing and revealing things you can do. And it's also the most intimate thing you can do with Jesus, is to sit in silence with him and just be with him, not reading about him, not singing about him, not thinking about him, not, you know, theology. It's just sitting with him. It is so pure and beautiful. And so even if that isn't your jam, can I encourage you in your devotion 
devotional life to have two minutes of silence bookmarked with your time with him. The second uh, resource that's a new one that I want to plug is this a beautiful book called A Diary of Private Prayer by John Bale, who who was a Scottish, uh, Scottish, uh, presumed Presbyterian, all the Scots were Presbyterian in the 1900s, so um, minister who... uh, in time, they discovered his diary of private prayer, and they published it because it was so beautiful. And the thing with prayer and, and and time with Jesus is that often we don't know what to do. So you know, and also especially, I think we struggle with what to pray because once you've done your shopping list and you prayed for your friends and immediate family, it's like, well, what next? You know. And so I just have found enormous life in helping others shape my prayer life. They they pray prayers that are wiser than mine, deeper than mine more articulate and beautiful, and I can make their prayers my prayers. Let me give you an example. So the Diary of Private Prayer has a morning prayer and an evening prayer, and here's, just, here's one. Literally just opened it up. This is for a morning. So here we go. Oh God, you have proved your love for all people by sending us Jesus Christ our Lord, and you have illuminated our human life with the radiance of, your, of his presence. Thank you for this, your greatest gift. Thank you, God, for every day my Lord spent on this earth, for the record of his deeds and love, for the words he spoke for my guidance and help, for his obedience even to death, for his triumph over death, for the presence of his spirit with me now. Help me, Lord, to remember the blessed life that was once lived out on this common earth under these ordinary skies. And may I take this memory into each task and duty of today. Help me to remember his eagerness to help others rather than be helped, his sympathy with suffering of every kind, his bravery in the face of his own suffering. His gentle, and it goes on. I mean, it's just so stunning. By the time you get there, you know, may I do may all I, I say and do today, Jesus, be worthy of you and your gospel. Amen. I mean, that's going to take, that's just a, it's a minute or two. And you, if that doesn't get your blood boiling, I don't know what does. It's like, you sit, and I, I'm now using this almost every day because it's like to sit there and then to sit in, in silence with him and then to read that. And I commit the day, to, and, then, and then to sit with him in silence and everything he wants to get going. I'm like, no, you are my priority. And, to sit, and again, eight minutes. Because like, the biggest everyone's like, oh, I don't have an hour to have a quiet time. Oh, this is all but much for me. In terms of, and it's like, no, you've got eight minutes. Everyone's got eight minutes. And I'm like, can you imagine what will happen in your life if every day there's these, these pauses where you just sit with him and what he'll do to your, to your life and your soul, what, the sort of person you will become over 10 years of doing that consistently daily, over 20, over a lifetime of marinating in his love and his joy and his peace. Sign me up. That's that's huge. Okay. Oh, Lord, help me. All right, next point, Sabbath. Let's just quickly run through this again. We've talked about this in the past, and so do you want to click to the next slide there, Shane? We've talked about this in the past. Um, throughout the Bible, it's one of the great themes. I've wrestled with this a lot as a, as a pastor and as an amateur theologian and as a little Bible nerd geek guy. I'm like... Am I giving this the correct emphasis in this church? That's the thing I'm wrestling with because I don't want to overcook something that Jesus didn't overcook. And I just, I think I'm 98% sure we're on it. I think this is actually key. Why? Because in, it's, it's throughout the whole Bible. In Genesis 1, Jesus, uh, God rested and instituted. And see, this is a holy day. And then uh, the, uh, they get, uh, the Israelite people get led out of slavery and God's like, I want you to rest one day a week because you are not slaves anymore. 
and I want you to have a holy day. And then Moses goes up the mountain and he gets the Ten Commandments. Commandment number four is the Sabbath. And it's like, I've said this before, but like if any one of you were breaking any of the other nine commandments, we would have to have a little chat, especially if you're in leadership. It's like, mate, you know, I appreciate that you got that little Buddha statue from Bali when you went to visit there, but I'm like, the fact that I wandered past you the other day and you were bound down to it is a little issue when you're up the front here leading worship. And so let's kind of sort that out. Or, you know, mate, you know, please don't be sleeping with your neighbor's wife. That is just not, you know, not great. You know, any of the other commandments, and it would be like, whoa, dude, if we don't stop and don't observe the Sabbath, everyone's like, oh, you're so committed or you must be really important. And especially in the church, we baptize busyness and made it holy. And it's like, good on you. You're so committed to the church and blah, 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 because you never, and it's like, no, this is broken. We need to, then you go through to the prophets and the prophets are filled with promises and the blessing of the Sabbath, of the fact we're created in the image. You are created in the image of a God who stopped and rested. And so how do you think that you somehow uh, got more energy than God? I mean, it's arrogance at its highest form to think that I can just not, uh, not just stay in line with the very rhythms of the God in whom I'm made. And then you go through to Jesus. Now, Jesus is largely silent about the Sabbath. And this is the thing that I've really wrestled with apart from one very, very pertinent comment he makes. But here's why. Because Jesus was in a culture where Sabbath was so ingrained, he didn't have to do teaching on it. Like if Jesus turned up today, I am utterly convinced he would be preaching his little heart out saying, slow down, little sheepies, you're running too fast. You need to Sabbath. Let me explain why the Sabbath is important. Genesis 1, Moses, the potential moments, the brothers. And it's like, and so it's like us, it's like me preaching about driving in cars. I don't have to preach about driving in cars. You're driving cars. It's fine. Just be careful because it's not great for the environment. But you know, it's a situation normal. And it's like when it comes to the Sabbath, the one thing Jesus says was this, the Sabbath Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Uh, man was made for the Sabbath, Sabbath, whatever. He's basically saying, <laughs> first one, Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So it's basically what happened there is they got so pharisaical and religious about it that it become all about the rules and about not breaking the rules and got real legalistic that you, you know, and rabbis are having huge arguments about what was work and what was not. And if you take your donkey two miles, does it work? No, no, no. Rabbi Hegel says it's three miles and Rabbi Hoo-ha says it's one mile and it's like you've got all these different arguments about what's work or not and Jesus is like calm down the whole thing is meant to serve you it's meant to, it's meant to see you come to life it's not meant to be this burden that's on top of you you're meant to be over it and it's serving you it's the one thing Jesus said he turned it upside down then as you go through to the epistles in the New Testament you've got things like Hebrews again in a culture where Sabbath is normal but in Hebrews it says make every effort to enter into the rest of God so it's not so I'm convinced that this is a big thing uh, scripturally, and I'm convinced it's needed more than ever in our church in terms of radical followers of Jesus who live differently, but also because it's beautiful and great. Who doesn't want this? Like when, when God said to the Israelites, if you don't rest, it's punishable by death. Now that means it's a big deal for God, but it's like basically God saying like, eat the lollies or I'll kill you. It's like, Mm, really, uh, I'm really not happy about in the lollies. It's like, come on, Sabbath rest is the most beautiful gift that God has given us, but it is tricky to enter into because as you all, as and many of you have tried to start engaging with this, you've realized this is tough. 
you do have to make every effort to enter into it. And I've, I've said this before, but in my 20s, when I started really getting into this, I had to go see a counsellor. So like, why is it so hard for me to slow down? Why am I physiologically addicted to the pace and to church and ministry and kingdom of God? And Like, what is going on in me that's broken that means it's a struggle for me to let God be God and God run the universe for a day without me? You know, and every time I've done it, it seems to be sweet, which is really a bit humbling because, you know... So here's, uh, just really quick, here's some of the biblical framework around Sabbath, and uh, we are going to keep on talking about this, and I think it is one of the big practices we want to fight for as a church, because this is what I think radical Christianity looks like today. It looks like uh, stopping, the full principles you'll see in the book, stopping, when God saw that all he had made, he stopped, all right, we're done. And so stopping from your work, stopping from what you normally do, and I can't... (laughs) You know, the book's filled with all of the detail around what Sabbath can look like because it is really different for everyone. I don't know, some people, you know, in the church, like Seventh-day Adventists have made it central to their doctrine and most other churches have completely forgotten it. But then you can get really hardcore up. It's this day and it's this. It's like, no, you have to work that out. Shift work, kids, all that, I don't know. You have to work it out. You're clever enough to do this. God would never call you to something you couldn't do. So by his spirit, he can breathe on your imaginations and he can help you with the discussions on your significant other, whatever it may feel like it's the tricky thing in terms of navigating this. He can help you work through this because he wants this for you. Anyway, so stopping, resting. Oh, what a great thing. Again, God's awesome. How can you not want this? Like built in, it's like rest. Uh, Where have I got? Have I got got some stuff here on this? Uh, Rest. So I stopped thinking about work. I enjoy all that God is giving me. Oh yeah, my, my little insight here is that doing nothing and resting are not the same. So I took a while to learn this where it's like I just blob out, which I still kind of do a little bit to be really honest on the Sabbath. Uh, But resting's different. Resting is, is a nap. Hallelujah. God wants you to nap on your Sabbath. Just have a rest. Negotiate with your partner if, you know, I don't want to cause marital struggles today, but like, you know, both of you can have a nap, okay? Uh, Just work out how that looks with the kids and all that. Um, But it's also just to enjoy all that God's already given you. So rest, um, delight, let's jump there, delight. So, So resting and then delight. So it's like, oh, me and Jen have been working on this a bit. It's not about consuming on the Sabbath. It's about celebrating the abundance that God's already given you. And man, we have discovered how consumeristic... I mainly, uh, I, I mainly am, because as as we rest on the Sabbath, I'll look around the backyard and I'll be like, oh, you know, it'd be great. I reckon we could stick some little lights over there. And Jen's like, what? Because the focus is meant to be looking around at all that God's given you and just in delighting in that. And it's like, and if you get good at this, it's like you hop into your couch on the Sabbath and you're like, this is a good couch. Oh man. Thank you, Lord. There's a and you delight in your couch, and then in my case, the big screen comes down. <laughs> the mirror, that's a sweet rig, you know. You know, and, and you know, going out for a surf or a walk, and it's just training ourselves to delight in the good. Like God, when God, He saw it was good. He delights and what he created. And so uh, this is the, the third component of the Sabbath, and the fourth is to contemplate. It's very easy, and this course is helping us navigate this, to have a dualistic kind of world, even though we say we don't, where God's part of some things and not others. And so this is, again, part of our day is to go, I just, I'm going to celebrate you, God. I'm going to rest in you. I'm going to 
purposefully engage with your presence. And that's why for most people, Sunday is a great day to have a Sabbath rest, where it's like you come to church and you be worship and we open the word and you're encouraged and you contemplate on the God's goodness. But then you then I'm like, then you, you've got to plan it. You've got to the paradox, make every effort to enter into rest. So it's not like I do I don't like you plan it. So on our Sabbaths, we like that's the day you, you have treats. That's the day you go to the cafe and have that little something that you wouldn't afford on those other days. But today's the Sabbath, and we do special things on the Sabbath. It's a it's a mini, it's a celebration of God's abundance and goodness. We act like the world is the way it was meant to be. Everything's sweet. And and don't be stupid and get into debt here and all the rest of it. But like it's a treat day. And the danger is that in the West we make we want to make every day a treat day. So it's all like just abundance and excess every day. So I'm like, we, we should live simply six days. And then on one day, it's treat day. It is the special food and it's the special everything. And like, think about this with your kids. Like the uh, homework, if you want to, again, dive deeper into this, I don't think I've put it up here. I might. Do you want to check the next slide? The, uh, if you want to dive into a little bit more on this, here we go. So if you want to dive deeper into this, particularly on the Sabbath thing, there's a great, I think it's a seven or eight week series by a church called Bridgetown Church in Portland. I'll link this on our Facebook page and all the rest of it on Sabbath. Uh, and it's absolutely the best stuff I've ever heard on Sabbath. It's stunning. Uh, and the reason I say that is that John Mark Comer, who does the majority of that series, he's got young kids as well. You know how everyone's like, oh, the, whoever preaches on the Sabbath can't have young children. It's nigh on impossible to have a Sabbath. And he's got young children. And they've worked out, how does this look for... Now, he's hardcore. Be grateful that I'm not John Mark Comer. Because he's pretty intense at times, which I like. But So for their kids... They're like, there's Sabbath toys. So they're like, because they want this to be a super special day for their kids. So he's like, how do we do this? So they start, they mark the beginning of the Sabbath, but this giant cookie that's this giant mess of dough thing that they cook up and they pour ice cream. And so the kids then they have that to start the Sabbath. And the kids just can't wait for it, you know. And then it's like they, you know, um, and then they've got the toys that they can only play with on the Sabbath. They all come out and it's, oh, it's toys. It's, you know, the special toys. And now that's a bit, but I like the way that they're wrestling with it. I like this, like, well, what is it? So he's got lots of little tips throughout that series that you'll find helpful. And uh, so that's a, a, massive, um, a massive component of it. Okay, let's, uh, let's come into land. Um, as I said at the start, this is about, it's not about trying to add extra things into your life. It's about going, I want to follow Jesus and the big building blocks go in first and then all the other bits go around it rather than all my, my all the stuff in my life and I'm trying to stick extra components that are central to me all of a sudden. I'm like, you know, like if you put the toys away, you put the big things in first and you put the little things around it, else it's not going to really fit. So I'm like, what I'm suggesting to you is tip out the toy box of your life and go, Sabbath goes in, daily devotion goes in. All right, then what else? How does that work around? What else kind of works around that? It's a total reframing of, um, of our lives. And my desire is that we would get radical again, that we would get radical again as followers of Jesus and that we would uh, be a radically different community. And the Ephesians series is going to help us lean into this a whole lot more. I'm so looking forward to the Ephesians series we're going to do in term four. And uh, we've got an amazing theologian to help kick us off. Oh, can't wait for you to meet him. Um, but Ephesians helps us because we're meant to be a radically different community. And we are, but let's keep on leaning into that. In a stressed out, crazy, busy world, let's be people that walk to the beat of a different drum, that rest, that have margin. That, and, and let's be people that have depth. 
There's people that be people that pursue an interior life with Jesus. This isn't just for monks and nuns. It's for every one of us that choose to follow Jesus. That we would have daily this, these moments where we would withdraw from all of the stuff and sit with him and be with him. And it will change your life. I mean, if you pursue this stuff, it will change your life. And I'm saying that not because the book says it. I'm saying that because I've tasted and seen. I'm a hypocrite in transition. I've got a long way to go. But I tell you what, I have experienced enough of the abundant life of Jesus as I've pursued this stuff to go, I'm all in. It's worth it. It's a fight still. Me and Jen keep talking about how rubbish, particularly our Sabbath stuff is. We're really trying to dial that up. But I'm like, can I, I just, I have this vision, like in five years time of this group of people who are daily meeting with Jesus and who, who are, fighting and, and engaging and increasingly have a Sabbath experience once a week, I'm like, Wolzer, you're going to be dynamite. You're going to be dangerous to the devil if you've got that sort of stuff going on because you're going to have a depth to your life. You're going to have margin in your emotion to be with people and to look them in the eye and care for them. You're going to have space in your life to minister to the broken and the hurting. It's going to be world-changing. But it's about coming back to some of these basics. So the dream, and we're heading in that way beautifully, is that we are a deep people. So let's cheer each other on in that. Let's stand together and pray.